Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and this episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Certified Piedmontese. I have a great offer for you, so stick around later in the episode. I want to get that to you. But first, let's get to my guest. Today, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is pizza. But we're not just talking about any pizza today. My guests are the creators of the now-famous 9-inch Slice. With me today are brothers Scott and Matt Eggermeyer, the owners of Lighthouse Pizza and Fries. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Hey, thanks, thank Dan. you. Yeah. We appreciate it. All right, so just real quick before we get started, because we've got a bunch of voices going on here, I'm going to ask each one of you to introduce yourself individually so listeners have an idea when somebody talks, they, they know who's speaking. Sure, no problem. I'm Matt Eggermeyer. Yeah, my name is Scott Eggermeyer. Awesome. I am very, very happy to have you guys today because... Your business is unique as it is delicious, and I think that there's a lot of fun things that we can unpack here. But I oh, think thank you. the first thing is the nine-inch slice. So I, I like I like to start off these episodes by asking my guests kind of what sets their restaurant apart. But with a lighthouse, it's pretty obvious. Like no one else in town is selling slices that when you hold them up to your face, your face like disappears behind it. These things are enormous. How did you come up with the concept that we're going to have these giant nine-inch slices of pizza? Yeah, I think, so it started with, um, I think, two different roads we were trying to go down. Uh, the first was the drive through which our location at 74th and Pacific has a drive through uh, drive through pizza was something that we had never really seen before, ever. Um, we learned pretty quickly why that is. It's a very challenging thing to pull off. It probably took us a few years before we actually figured it out. Um, but the other avenue and, and more kind of relating to what you were asking as far as the slices go was we wanted to try to take the approach with pizza um, to make it a dining experience for the individual. Uh, we felt like there were all kinds of pizza options where you go to the restaurant and, you know, you order a large or an extra large pizza with a few buddies or your family and then you split a check. But there wasn't really somebody something for like an individual on their lunch break to be able to go get kind of like they could at a sandwich place, you know, some sort of combo meal type thing. And then we just threw in fries with that, which was our other favorite food. We figured why not put the two favorite foods together. Um, so that's kind of how we ended up with the nine inch slices. But to your point of trying to differentiate, that was something we really looked at because from our research, we found there were about 190 pizza places in Omaha uh, or the Omaha area when you factor in all the chains and everything else, which is a huge amount. Um, for example, we looked at Sacramento, California, which is a uh, significantly larger market, and they had one half the pizza places that Omaha did. Holy cow. Yeah, so it was, a, it was something where we really felt like we had to differentiate ourselves. So we did that analysis, and we came up with a few. We didn't just want to open another pizza place. Um, we came up with a few different things that we thought separated us, uh, mainly drive through late night, the large slices, the fries, and then I'd, I'd say the fifth piece of that would be our lighthouse sauce, the proprietary dipping sauce that we have with it. But anyway, that was a long. That was perfect. That. <laughs> so actually, I want to definitely get back to the pizza, but you said something that was really interesting at the beginning of that answer is you said we wanted to to do something no one else was doing. And that was the drive-through drive-through pizza. Nobody's doing that. And then you said, well, we quickly discovered there's a reason no one's doing that mm -hmm. for the diners, for the people who are not restaurant owners and have no idea what that means. 
why is it so difficult to do drive through pizza? Yeah, so when we first started doing this, I mean, now you look and there's a decent amount of these kind of fast pizza places. There's Blaze, there's uh, Piocracy, um, or some other ones. Pi 5. Pi 5. Now, Pi 5, that was the, when we first started this, coming up on 10 years, Pi 5 was the only one that was kind of around for that. So we tried to use them as a bit of a template, but there was only so much we could get from them. So then it became to us just trying to figure out how to get this pizza out where it's not undercooked and it's n- tastes fresh and it's not something that we're just reheating in that five minutes. And so in order to do that, we tried finding some equipment in the beginning that just wasn't successful for us. We had a uh, we had this super oven. It was called a Remco. And it's this big stone and it just kind of spins around. And when we first started using that, we were having issues where with our timing that it was coming out undercooked, it was coming out. I'm getting PTSD from yeah. that. that was those first few years in rough. It'd be incredible, yeah. Just a twitch yeah. that I see right now. But yeah, I mean, it'd somehow come out undercooked and burned at the same time. Oh, man. So yeah, so I mean, it took us a while for us to tweak that and feel like we had something down where it could actually get out in good time and felt good about the product. What we also, um, if I could add on there, what we also didn't want to be was we didn't want to be like a Sabaro or your typical New York pizza place where the pizza's pre-cooked and then it's just put into a deck oven and quickly reheated and then uh, given out. There's nothing wrong with those. Some of those places are great that do that. Um, but for us, we wanted it to be fresh. Uh, we wanted, so when you come through our drive, our drive through is definitely slower than a typical drive through um, We have a sign up. It says, be prepared to wait five minutes. Sometimes it can be a few minutes longer. But the point is, you're ordering it. When you order it, the pizza comes out fresh. Uh, we we pretty much got it down to coming out in under four minutes. Um, but the trouble with that is the majority of the commercial ovens that are used for pizzas, mainly Middleby, Marshall, and, and Pinger. Is that the name of the? They're in Pinger's. And I mean, Pinger, what they are, but that's Middleby, Marshall's oven? another one. Yeah. Okay. So Middleby, Marshall's a brand name, but in Pinger would be the oven. Um, you know, they're all built and mass produced for the chains. Um, so places like Pizza Hut and Domino's and Little Caesars, uh, it's our understanding they're set on about eight minute bake times and the ovens are set up to do that. Uh, so it really, you know, us just cranking it up faster or to a higher temperature wasn't giving us the results because basically the equipment didn't exist to help us do what we want to do. Um, we were able to eventually find an oven manufacturer that would create and kind of retrofit an oven to be geared towards that four-minute cook time. And that kind of became the game changer for us where we started feeling really comfortable with the product. And you said that took years Maybe to three years. nail that down? I think it was the yeah. third third oven. I think so. Um, yeah. Our first one was Remco. Our second one was uh, Prince Castle. Yep. Company out of Chicago that, yeah. that makes a bunch of equipment for like McDonald's and stuff. They had a, a crazy half infrared, half. Yeah, it was it was pretty much a half conveyor, half infrared. It was a fire trap. Yeah, it was just constantly, <laughs> it was just constantly burning just up. And yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally, we we went out to the pizza convention in Vegas, and we found a uh, a manufacturer from the East Coast that that it was smaller and not one of the big companies that was willing to to do that. But man, I mean. When we go back on the iterations of that pizza, it was it was rough. It got better with yeah. each oven, but it was uh, if we didn't nail the the third oven, we were going to be out of business. We were we were about running out of time to to get it to work. Yeah, we and, couldn't blame anyone. I mean, our pizza we didn't enjoy it either at that time. Yeah, we was, it yeah. was 
anyway. <laughs> so what was that feeling like when you finally find this oven and you start using it and it's like, wait a second, that like this might be our holy grail. We might have found it. What was that moment like for you? Oh, that was huge though, because yeah, we once we started getting that time right and the piece was actually coming out how we wanted it, we finally figured that all right, maybe we, we've got to figure it out now. Because we did, even though we were just changing ovens, the whole time we were tweaking the recipes. Because there was so much that you need to go with the crust and, again, how to bake it at the same time as the cheese and get everything melts on top in that four minutes. Um, so, I mean, there's quite a different recipe by the time we ended up started doing it with that new oven. So, I mean, it was just kind of great to have those pieces all come together, and that oven was the final piece that we needed to make it come out well. And there was – I also feel um, like around that same time was when we really went all in on the best possible ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um you know, before we were kind of taking advice of other restaurant people, consultants, et cetera, on, you know, how the importance of food costs, which obviously is extremely important. It needs to be right on point to, to run a successful restaurant. Um, but we took a chance at that point and we raised our prices a little bit. And then we brought in like the best possible mozzarella cheese we feel like you could have. It's like a gold so- whole milk. Um, block mozzarella and block yeah well, I mean we were having the issues before with the anticoagulant that they put into the already shredded cheese so I mean by putting it on top of it it just wasn't appearance wasn't nice and so I mean it took us a bit also then to try again the look we wanted but definitely going to that block cheese was a big part of that and premium chicken breasts that we're cutting up for our, our chicken and meats and we just got rid of almost everything involving cans or or not fresh and uh so it was quite a metamorphosis. It wasn't just that it was now cooking correctly. Um, it was also at the same time, uh, we felt like we really stepped up the quality of the pizza. And fortunately for us, when we did that and had to raise our prices to accommodate that, people were okay with it, um, seemed okay with it. Yeah. I think for the most part, people are understanding. And when they're getting a quality product, they're willing to pay a couple more bucks for it. And I'm happy to go on the record and say, I think you guys' nine-inch slice is like eight bucks or something, but it'll absolutely crush an appetite, and it's delicious. Oh, thank you. More more than a fair price. Um, There are so many different styles of pizza out there, from Neapolitan to New York to deep dish to, I mean, we, we could go on for, not hours, but a long time describing all the different styles of pizza. I think... In my brain, my non-expert brain, I would say probably the closest thing I would describe your pizzas are to is New York style, but I kind of want to open up the floor and let you guys describe to people, maybe someone who hasn't been to Lighthouse, like, how would you describe your style of pizza? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, I think I'll start by saying how we, telling kind of the story of how we ended up with the pizza we have is Scott and I did, you're right on the New York thing. That's kind of, cause that was our favorite kind of pizza. It's, oh, it's the best. And Let's uh, be honest. yeah, that's how, we, <laughs> that's how we always like that. Um, we were extremely fortunate because when we were first opening, um, we actually have a, a cousin whose name is Rob Maddock, who's a chef consultant out of Denver. And he's, uh, graduated from culinary school at CIA Greystone, um, very uh, prestigious background, worked for Martha Sinsky Vineyards for a while. He happened to have come in town at the time we were close to opening in 2010, roughly, because um, the store Bricks, it's called Bricks, right? Mm-hmm. The wine store out of Village Point. They brought him in to help them choose their wine selection. 
So we asked him to stay in town a little bit longer, help us get this off the ground. Um, and we kind of, neither Scott or I have any sort of chef background or anything. So we, uh, we kind of told him what we liked and what we were looking for and that we were hoping to do a New York style and this. And uh, he had a really great crust recipe that has worked out well for us and, and kind of helped us get some of those other recipes too. So we had a little bit of a cheat code. We had like this, you know, what I consider to be, a, you know, a big chef that um, normally isn't coming into this sort of market to help out with something who we were fortunate enough to have do that. As far as describing the rest of the pizza, what would you say? No, I mean, there's, I, I'd say New York again is probably the closest. It is, it is a, definitely a thin slice, but it is bigger than I think you'd expect from a New York slice. And possibly, it is pretty thin. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely pretty thin. Um, but again, these are all what we liked growing mm-hmm. up. Like we, people say, why do you put French fries with pizza? Because it's our two favorite foods. And we didn't see it anywhere else. So we said, screw it, we'll do it. And um, that was the reason we even began White House. I mean, we had talked about, we're going back probably middle school, when we were talking about opening, we came up with the name Lighthouse. Maybe we should have workshopped it a little more later on. <laughs> because it doesn't make a ton of sense for Omaha. But that name always stuck with us from the beginning. I don't know why it was, but we went with Lighthouse. And we always, from the beginning, we wanted this drive-thru pizza. The other part of that was we wanted hot wings. that would come through the drive-thru also. Unfortunately, though, we realized how bad the food cost was on those when we first started it. And, I mean, we're looking at ourselves and we're like, we wouldn't want to pay a $1.50 a wing. So we just thought that by what we had to charge versus what we were giving out, it just wasn't worth it at the time. So we ended up cutting wings out of it. But the whole idea was because we just wanted it. We just wanted the drive-thru pizza place. Yeah, I think, if I'm thinking back, I think we originally came up with Lighthouse because we knew we were going to be a late-night place. And the idea was that uh, it was all dark okay. at night. It's like night, a beacon. But you could see, yeah. But we've had all kinds of, I think that was the original idea, but people have drawn their own conclusions. Some think it's because of Westside, because we're close to Westside, and they call themselves the Lighthouse District, I guess. Um, some people have thought it was church-related. Um, I don't know, but it's... Uh, it was just as this was an idea we had, as Scott said, for decades. Yeah, and when was, did this dream originate? Oh, man. It really was probably, I mean, I'm 33, but I think it's probably 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, Scott, yeah, Scott and I were very close growing up. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of, whether it was watching TV, playing video games, playing tennis, whatever, we'd spend a lot of time talking. And it was, it was something that we always talked about. And then we went on much different paths outside of there for a while. But in the end, we, uh, we decided we want to try to go into business for ourselves and, and give it a shot. Yeah. Um, when we were younger though, it wasn't like we had a business plan or anything. I think it was just yeah. <laughs> at 13, you're not measuring out food. It was costs like, Hey, yet. why is there no drive through pizza? It was pretty much. Just yeah. Like that. <laughs> I think I was just drawing like lighthouses on top of buildings. Okay. And yeah. being like that's what lighthouse will look like. So how, how did you get, you mentioned you took some different paths, you explored different things, but need, neither one of you have chef backgrounds. How did you come back to the point where you said, okay, let's actually take this dream that we had, you know, maybe flesh it out a little bit more, put, put some meat on those bones and actually turn this into a business. How did you come to that conclusion? Um, okay. So I was, I was pretty much set up working in sports for a while. And then I went to law school, um, and ended up taking a job practicing law in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, which Hawaii was great, and it was a great opportunity and a great job, but it just wasn't for me. I just didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, so I was looking to do, we come from an entrepreneurial family, and um, 
I was looking to uh, kind of do something that was on my own, and I wanted to do something in Omaha because I loved Omaha. Um, again, Hawaii's great, but, you know, there's certain reasons you love a place, and Omaha's one of those places that I love and, and wanted to come back to. Um, Scott, you want to share on your background and what you were doing? Yeah, so, I mean, at the time, I'm younger than Matt, so I was still in school. Uh, I was studying architecture, and it was kind of – towards my breaking point with architecture when then Matt calls me up and he says I've had it with this law like I don't want to do this anymore and he said that he wants to go forward with doing Lighthouse and so then that's when I'm like all right well I gotta think about this this is this could be the perfect time for me and uh yeah so I mean I I decided to stop doing what I was doing just like he did and then we went and opened it up you can imagine the pride of our parents and grandparents when <laughs> the lawyer and architect decide they're done and they want to go open a drive through pizza place with no experience or no background. But, um, yeah, and the lack of experience and background is unquestionably why those three years were so rough in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We really didn't know what we were doing, and we were very green. Um, but there's something about uh, – you know, I was probably 28 at the time. You were, what, 23? Mm-hmm. And there's something about the arrogance you have at that age. Oh, you yeah. just think you can do anything, and you think you'll figure it out and and all that. And uh, I guess we did, but at the same time, it was a much bumpier ride than it needed to be. I don't recommend people going and opening a business in a field that they don't have any experience in. It could have <laughs> been a lot easier. So if you could go back... 10 years right now and give yourself one piece of advice as you're starting lighthouse, what would it be? Like what was the biggest mistake that you could avoid? So many <laughs> other, other than the ovens, other than equipment and everything. Yeah. Uh, what would it be? I don't think one thing would save us. <laughs> I think we, we took like a combo of things. The only, I mean, the only thing would be like, if I would have said, okay, why don't you go be a, uh, try to become a restaurant manager somewhere for a couple of years before you go into it. I think that definitely would have um, helped. I mean, it's not only, and this is obviously something that all small business owners and all entrepreneurs run into, but it wasn't so much the, um, the challenge of just getting the food right and customer service and everything else. We had worked for other people previously. This idea of payroll and hiring and firing, and it's not like we could afford an HR department. And we really, um, we've been really like, we've had some terrific staff over the years. Uh, people who have done amazing things for us. Uh, we have a really great staff now. But, you know, the restaurant business comes with uh, some pickups and some wild cards in that staffing area, and we weren't equipped to handle all of those issues that would come up. Um, so, yeah, I think we probably could have benefited from uh, spending some time in the industry beforehand as, you know, I mean, that's, I think anybody could imagine that. Uh, that was probably an important part. So we've talked a lot about those first three years and how much of a struggle that was and even how close you guys were to potentially going out of business. What do you think it was that pushed you through and kept you from just throwing in the towel during that time? Three years is a long time. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think what happened, though, is we finally realized when we had that product that we just needed consistency and that over time would kind of work itself out. So that's what happened. And to be honest, Dan, I think that you were – maybe one of the first people when we were checking Twitter to see responses and we got something positive from someone that had a decent following. We're like, Hey, that's something. And we, uh, what, seriously? We, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had, um, I remember maybe our second, maybe our second year open a, uh, local media personality, whose name I won't say, um, 
tweeted that it was the worst pizza he ever had in his entire life. Oh, jeez. Um, so that was at the time that was a that was a killer. Um, so you know we we were seeing tweets like that for a long time, and then the tide turned. Uh, where we started seeing them go the other way. And so we felt confident that maybe we had something and maybe we could, uh, you know, we could we could stay not really, I wouldn't say we were successful at that point, but we could stay with where Head we were Head was above water. Longer. Yeah. yeah. It was going in a positive direction. Yeah. We were seeing revenue starts to increase. So, I mean, as long as we weren't going down from that point, we felt like we just got had to hold on. So backtracking a little bit, I'm just I'm just so fascinated Two guys from outside the industry decide, hey, we're opening a pizza place. Like, where do you even begin? What, what, what's the, what are the first steps that you take? I feel like if I decided right now, hey, I'm going to open a restaurant, I'd just be like, oh, shoot. I have no idea what to do next. So what do you guys, like, what did you do? Yeah. I mean, Matt was actually, so I got in, how, how many months after was it before just you started? Okay. Yeah. But Matt and... Our cousin Rob, who we were talking about with putting the recipes together, they were the ones that initiated it. Um, I think, Matt, you went down, you first started looking at equipment, right? Yeah, Rob and I did. Um, you know, I I feel like we were fortunate to find the partners that we did. Uh, Rob was a good partner for us, helped us get going. Um, obviously, the financing of something like that is tricky, and we found a really good partner in Access Bank. Um, we found them great to work with, and they helped us out a lot early on. Uh, you know, we, we developed a pretty good relationship with Cisco and some of the other distributors and, um, yeah, you just, you, you just kind of take it step by step. Like, you know, one day it's, you know, what type of soft drink are we going to have or, or go with that? The next day it's okay. We're going to go out to a place like Hockenberg's and figure out our silverware situation. Um, you kind of have like a punch list. And I know this is so cliche to say, but you really do just try to take it one day at a time. And then next thing you know, you open a restaurant. Uh, in our case, a really bad restaurant. But, uh, but we, um, that's just, that was kind of the, the process uh, at that time was um, just kind of not focusing on the macro and more focusing on the micro each day of what we needed to do. Was there, as you're developing the restaurant, you were obviously very mindful of... Omaha having so many different pizza places. We talked about that, that earlier, and I even I found a quote from you. I think it was in a, a magazine article. You said there's a hundred, Matt. You said this. There's a hundred pizza places in Omaha alone. That's something we're mindful of. We want to show people how unique we can be. So as you're building out the concept and building out the restaurant, how do you keep that top of mind? Even when you're looking, you know, for obviously the drive-through is going to set you apart. You talked about the big pizza slices that's going to set you apart but even when you're when you're looking at the design of the restaurant and the feel of the restaurant how do you keep that top of mind that there's so much pizza out there when people come in here they have to have a completely unique lighthouse experience yeah that's a great question um i mean i some things that we've done i think to try to stay fresh and um try to continue to offer people a unique experience is we've looked at local trends and um, and then we've taken those and we've tried to incorporate them in ways that maybe other people aren't. And an example of that for us that was really successful for us was our Sparky Slice. Um, oh my gosh. That was, we're yeah. going we're gonna to talk more about that okay. slice of pizza. We're not getting, but yes, go, please but, go. Uh, so, I, I just want to say that I love it. But you know, so um, Scott and I were Omaha guys and uh, 
And, you know, I was on um, the one of the Nebraska football message boards, um, and there was a lot of talk about the Sparky sauce and, uh, and this guy out of Grand Island. And so, you know, people seemed to really like it. Hy-Vee started carrying it, but I didn't see it in any restaurants. So I called this guy Todd Morgan out in Grand Island, and really nice guy, and um, was really excited about the idea. And we brought the sauce in and put it on our pizza, and, uh, and it, was, it was a great slice. And so that, that idea, what it then snowballed into was um, it led to more people coming in trying it because they were hearing from their friends about the Sparky sauce. And there was a time where that same football message board I'm talking about was talking about Lighthouse a lot, I think, because I, I think uh, Todd from Sparky's was on the board doing a lot of talking. He's a good promoter. <laughs> yes, he certainly is. Um, but then about maybe eight months later, Food Network comes out with a list of the 50 best delivery pizzas in the country, one for each state. And we were chosen for Nebraska and the author chose the Sparky. Um, so that was, you know, was something different we were trying that led to this great free publicity that happened to occur over a two week period where not only that came out, then the world Herald picked it up, picked up that we had made that list. And then shortly after Sarah Baker Hansen wrote a really nice favorable review um, of our restaurant. And within that two to three week period, we went from just like a very standard lunch place to, you know, there was a few weeks after where we had 45 minute lines out the door. Um, and we were trying to do what we could to keep up. So it, that happened very quickly. And then after that point, I guess people liked what they had because business stayed solid. Um, after that, that was like a turning point for us. But that's kind of a long-winded answer. But that, that's an example of us trying to stay fresh and follow the current trends and how it paid off for us in the end. Initially, though, outside of, as you are saying, the big slice, when we were trying to figure out what to serve with the pizza, we set on those garlic parmesan fries. Mm-hmm. So when we, we tried fries, and we thought, all right, this is actually a decent combo. And so we didn't know any pizza places that had fries with their pizza. So we thought, all right, this will be another necessary part. We'll make a combo with this pizza and fries. And then over time, so it started off with just like a small side fry. And then that just kept evolving. So then within the next year, we were looking at ways to kind of bring business back. Uh, we reached out to, it was Bozell and Jacobs at the time, and the marketing firm. And they came up with the idea for us with going with pies and fries and really making fries a whole other side of our menu. So we ended up doing that and came up with all these combinations of these fries that then had like pulled pork and uh, brisket and peppercorn sauce and all these kind of things on them. And that ended up being a big thing that differentiated us. And then from there, we were able to keep just kind of improving it. We went from the kind of pre-bagged fries that we had to then how we do them now where it's we have the potatoes, we cut them, we soak them in water for a day, we blanch them, uh, we hold on to them and uh, keep them cold, and then we fry them at night. And the way it does, it just comes out with a really good fry. So we just kept improving the quality of it too. Okay, I wanted to ask about the fries because a lot of places that offer like fry baskets and they pile a bunch of stuff on top like pulled pork, barbecue sauce, you know, all all this different stuff. The fries get soggy Mm -hmm. within like 30 seconds and it's just you kind of have to eat it with a fork and a knife and it's just kind of a mess. In my 
visits to Lighthouse, that has not been the case. You guys' fries remain, I mean, obviously there's going to be a little bit of moisture that gets in them, but they remain pretty darn crispy throughout the eating process, even with all those ingredients on top. You kind of just mentioned the process of, that you go through to achieve that, but how long did it take to, to figure that out? And how did you get that down to where you were really happy with the fries that could hold up to all these toppings? Yeah, I mean, you want to go ahead? No, I was just going to say, we modeled it after uh, Balthazar, the restaurant in New York, um, and how they do their French fries, which uh, I'd had before and I think are considered some of the best in the world. Um, and so they, we researched how they do them, and fortunately we found some sort of YouTube video or article or something that went through their process a little bit, and then we tried it and just tweaked it a little bit on ourselves, but Scotty could probably give more details. Yeah, but Dan, I mean, you're right. That's how it comes out crisp because what happens is when you do that blanching, so what it, what blanching is is you're cooking in the fryer at a low temperature, so you're pre-cooking the fries. So we have them in there for a few minutes, and while it's doing that, it's cooking them at a low temperature, and it's cooking the inside. And then after that happens, then we pull them out, we put them back in our walk-in, and then later that day when we go and it's time to actually fry them to order, we have it at a much higher temp, and it's more of a flash fry than it is a long kind of cook. So then that's how you get that crispy edge then. Mm. Oh, man, this is making me hungry. Okay, so <laughs> to, to tease out a couple of the super fry baskets in case somebody's listening to this and they're just like, what are these, what are these guys talking about? The beef and blue fries, my personal favorite, brisket, blue cheese crumbles, Parmesan peppercorn dressing. Uh, you kind of mentioned, I think we were talking a little bit about the outlaw, which has pulled pork, cheddar jack cheese sauce, coleslaw, and a barbecue sauce drizzle. And then uh, there are several more, but also the tiger Roasted chicken, blue cheese crumbles, cheddar jack cheese sauce, buffalo seasoning, and buffalo aioli drizzle. So now that people have like a frame of reference, if they haven't had these fries, how do you come up with those combinations? How do you say this is going to work? This this is one ingredient too much. These things aren't playing well together. How do you move from like conceptualizing one of these fry baskets to actually putting it on the menu? Yeah, Dan, it's... We found that there's such a fine line between um, unique and gimmicky. Right. And we don't want that. Uh, we want, uh, you know, a place in town that I think does a really good job of walking that line is Block 16. Um, you know, they they have unique combinations, but it's very purposefully put together, and you can you can tell the thought that went into that. On paper, it doesn't work at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and then you taste it, and it makes all the sense in the world. So we have a rule of thumb where unless we think something is really good, we don't put it on the menu, ever. Um, and we have really high standards for that. And people ask us all the time why we don't offer some sort of dessert or something. And the reason for that is we've tried a million different types of dessert, concoctions, and everything else we could, and we didn't find anything that was up to our standards that you know, we felt was on par with the pizza and, and fries we were serving. With those toppings and choosing them, it really is trial and error. We go through so many different um, uh, things. Sometimes we're able to use our suppliers' test kitchens, but we there have been so many ideas that were left, so to speak, on the cutting room floor that sounded really great. We made it, we tried it, and then we were like, that's not as good as we thought it was going to be, or it's just missing something, or it's that... So it is a lot of R&D, a lot of trial and error. Um, and also we hold really high standards uh, for ourselves. I guess it's pretty 
subjective because it seems to be just our taste that's the final <laughs> so i'm not sure it's always the best choices but you guys must be doing something right we won't we just won't do something where if we think something's even pretty good and we could just try it as a limited time and see if people are into it we don't do that we don't put anything out unless we're really confident that it's it's good and so even though these concoctions sound a little crazy we hope that when people eat them um, they see that there was some thought and effort that went into putting those things together. We don't just throw a bunch of stuff on fries and go, let's see if this sells and, and throw it out there. Right. There's intention behind everything. Believe it or not, on. yes. It's, it'd be, <laughs> you wouldn't guess it from looking at it, but yes. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling 1-800-414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, back to my guest. So we've touched on several of the things that make Lighthouse unique, from the drive-thru, from the big slices, now to the fries. Something that we haven't talked about yet that I think also sets you guys apart is just the level of customization. So to break it down, when you order a slice at Sparky's, you can get, I think you guys have eight or ten signature slices, whatever it is, but you can also create your own slice in which you get the choice of sauce or no sauce, two types of crust, eight meats, 14 different vegetables, six drizzles, and three cheese crumbles. Now, it would take someone a lot smarter than me to do the math on how many different combinations you could come up with, and I don't know, maybe you guys have done that, but that's a lot of options. Why, as you were building this restaurant out and and building the concept, why was customization such an important thing for you guys? Again, that comes back to just us trying to brainstorm on how to be so different. Yeah. Because as we keep just kind of beating, it's there's just so many pizza places here. And then on top of those toppings, we had the idea of pretty much making it that it wouldn't be an additional charge for them. It'd just be you throw on there what you want. And so we do up to five toppings for the same price on there. And so that's just kind of how it started, and people seem to like it. It's, it's a bit of a learning curve for our cooks at a time because, as you can imagine, we can't afford to just put – five of the same amount of toppings on each one. If you get a slice that's just pepperoni, you're going to get a lot of pepperoni. If you get a slice, though, that's like pepperoni, sausage, onions, green peppers, whatever, you're going to get a little bit of each. So it's, uh, and as you can imagine with when I said that four-minute cook time and us focusing on speed, um, it's a pretty go, 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 go type process when you see something on the screen. And so that's, again, our, our staff has been so good over the years. Um, but our, our cooks are really good at, at that portioning and making sure the, the right amounts on each one for us to keep our food cost in line and still be able to, to offer that, that flexibility and the customization. Uh, something else that I want to mention just 
this isn't a question or anything, but just something I think listeners should know is we've talked pretty much exclusively about slices so far. You guys also do whole pizzas. So if somebody wants to come out with the family or uh, get a pizza to take home with some buddies or something, you guys have that option available as well. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Uh, So I touched a little bit on the, on the signature slices, but Matt, you mentioned the sparky slice, Uh, this thing, it's that, that sparky sauce, which is kind of a, it's a little bit spicy, a little bit sweet, kind of a blend between a barbecue sauce and a hot sauce almost. That's the base. That's awesome. Then you got pepperoni. Then you got sausage. Then you got the cream cheese dollops. You kind of, you started to tell the story about contacting the owner of Sparky's and, and uh, where that idea came from. But how did the rest of the slice come together? Once that ball gets rolling that, hey, let's make a slice with the Sparky sauce how does it come to the final point? Because that end product is fantastic. Thank you. Just a lot of mess around in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're looking for. It was also because we knew that, as you said, that was kind of that, that sauce has that kind of sweet and that hotness to it. And uh, there was a slice I really enjoyed. I, I went to school in Lincoln, and it was called the Randy Ross, and it had this At Lazari's, yes. 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 Which is great. And so that had the cream cheese on it, and it had some kind of other spicy things. So I thought that maybe kind of taking at least the cream cheese, that was where the idea with throwing cream cheese on there, and then uh, just kind of the meat with the sausage and the pepperoni we had. So, I mean, it was a little bit of a variation of what I thought was the Randy Ross with then the Sparky sauce. And Todd's, he's, I mean, he's a really fun and enthusiastic guy, and uh, he's contagious enthusiasm um, from that guy. And so I... I think we first reached out maybe on a Friday, and by Monday or Tuesday, he had driven in from Grand Island with samples and was back there in the kitchen with us, like trying to work through uh, different things. So the whole Sparky thing was a fun process, too, because um, having him involved, and it's uh, just the passion he had for his company and that sauce and everything, it was uh, it got us really excited about it and was was really cool to see. Cream cheese on pizza has just been a revelation to me over like the last five years. I'm not a cream cheese person really in any other application, but on pizza, it is just brilliant to just have those dollops on there. And the, it just adds like those pops of freshness and like saltiness. And it works so well with spicy stuff and salty stuff like the pepperoni, like the sausage. I, I don't know who was the first person to come up with that, but cream cheese on pizza is just a game changer once Lucky, you experience yeah. it. We liked it. Yeah, our yeah. customers have liked it too. It's been uh, it's been good. So you mentioned this Sparky slice gets featured in this Food Network mm-hmm. article. Did you guys like? Did they contact you? Did you have no. any idea this was coming out, or all of a sudden, like like we how were, did you become aware of it? We were blown away. It it just showed up one day. Um, did we have news alerts on or something? I think so. I think we maybe had Google alerts on, um, and it showed up, and I was still confused. By, I, mean, <laughs> I, just, I didn't. Um, so, yeah, I don't. We didn't see it coming. We didn't know it was coming. I did about a year later track down the writer, and I I emailed her and thanked her and explained what all had happened since that came out and how it kind of took off um, from there. Uh, she was out in Brooklyn. Um, I, it wasn't clear from her if she had personally had it, if somebody else had had it and she was going off of their word, or if she was just looking on Google from state to state and trying to, you know, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, it was a great thing for us. And that was followed shortly after M- MSN. 
did a, a thing that was the top pizzas in every state, and we were, again, I don't know if they just stole from Food Network or what they did. <laughs> hey, but we Food were, Network uh, says they're good. We were on that, so people started going on their home pages of their web browsers and seeing that. And uh, I think in both cases, what was big was the World Herald picked up on it, and in their food notes or dining notes or something, wrote that we were mentioned on those lists. Um, but yeah, the the... That was a very pleasant surprise. We didn't know that was coming. Yeah, it was big for us. And then we're talking about the Sparky, but the first kind of slice we had to really get our name out there was we wanted to come up with a slice that incorporate our Parmesan fries and our lighthouse sauce. So that's when we came up with the Ed and Sal, which is it's Parmesan fries and then mozzarella, and then that's topped with bacon, and then we drizzle our lighthouse sauce on that. And so when we first tried that in the kitchen, it was just messing around, and then we thought, hey, this actually tastes good. And... uh so we put it on the menu, and then for the name, we uh, we named after our grandparents. So it was Ed and Sally, and uh, we ended up doing it because we thought that pretty funny because our grandpa Ed, he is a huge health freak, and like every age, just the most fit guy. And so for us to go in the name, the slice that then has fries on it and bacon, ultimate and irony, the yeah. on it, yeah. It was a, it was yeah, kind so of a fun tribute. Yeah, um, they loved it. Yeah. So when this when this article comes out and the World Herald shares it, you know, you guys have mentioned the huge spike that you saw in business. Did you like did you know that was coming? Did you say, "Hey, we got to level up our like we got to start scheduling a lot more people?" Or was it just like all of a sudden there's those 45-minute waits that you mentioned? Like what what were those next couple weeks like? So we had at that point, we had started working with uh, Secret Penguin for marketing, and we were in contact with them. And um, it was we got the call from Sarah Baker Hansen that it's the call that uh, you're excited but kind of makes your stomach drop. Where she says she's already been in, she's already made her visits, she's going to be writing about it coming up, and she wants to ask you some things. Um, so we had that conversation with her where we gave her some quotes for the, the article, and it became apparent during that she kind of tipped her hat that it was going to be a positive type thing. And so Secret Penguin, um, who has worked with a bunch of other restaurants in town, uh, they, they gave us a heads up that when the World Herald has a positive review, um, it's pretty crazy in the weeks that follow. So we staffed the best we could to get ready for it, but it even – blew us away what ended up coming in there yeah i mean it happened quick and we were so used to just doing so little business that then when it seems like we got that it almost felt like a 10 times multiple just when the first weekend that it happened and we were just very overwhelmed so i mean the uh the waits were pretty long but i mean everyone's in good spirits because i mean we finally had some business going so i mean i think the staff everyone they did a great job but it was a big difference i mean we were there the hours became very long and uh What's funny is it never crossed our mind that we could just close for a few hours. Like, <laughs> we need time to catch up before dinner or something. Like we, when that was going on, we kept like, if we were close to running out on food, we were blowing up our food wrap about, you know, you got to get this in here. We even talked about renting a, a small refrigerated unit to put out back behind the building to keep it going. But I bet we could have saved a lot of headaches by just closing a few hours yeah. a day. Yeah. <laughs> we're not used to running out of stuff. <laughs> and, and doing that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this all happened at the original location at 74th and Pacific, right? Yes, yeah. What is the time period in between this blow up and you guys opening your second location in the Capital District in 2018? 
It was probably about five years after, wasn't it, Matt? No, I think it would have been about three, two or three. Okay. Um, I think all this happened around year four, and then by year six or seven, we, we were opening the Capital District location. We knew we wanted to to do a second location somewhere. We felt we had the proof of concept um, at that point in the year or two that, that followed that. Uh, we looked at a bunch of different developments, um, a bunch of different opportunities. There was a time where we actually thought we were going to go into the food court at Westroads, um, which is now flagship commons, and that fell through uh, general growth properties out of Chicago um, was the big developer behind that and they worked out a side deal with flagship and that was it but that's that's an example there are a few others that you know i won't mention but there were a number of developments we were looking at um but we liked the idea of the capital district you know we we are guys who grew up with the occasional new year's eve at power and light down in kansas city and seeing that kind of bar party atmosphere and we saw you know, potential to, to sell a lot of pizza down there, especially during late night. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, probably three years, I'd say maybe uh, three years of feeling really good about the concept and then evaluating our different options on where we want to go and what makes the, the most sense for us. But we obviously had to give up the drive-through going down to the Capital District. Um, that was something we, we couldn't do, which was kind of a bummer, but it's, uh, we still have it at 74. There are a lot of popular restaurants in Omaha that I feel like I always hear fans of the restaurant saying, you guys need to open a second location near me. You need to open a second location in West Omaha, yada, yada, yada. And it doesn't happen because that's a really hard thing to do, to move from one restaurant to two. So I want to just kind of allow you guys to explain to everyone who doesn't know why that's a big deal and why restaurant X should open a second location closer to them. What is like the difficulties and um, maybe like what, what, what's the difference between owning two restaurants versus one? I mean, I guess the main thing is that you just, you can't give all your attention to one anymore. So, I mean, it's when we started opening the second one, we had to start trusting our kind of our, we, we named a GM. We had to start trusting our staff more and, uh, Really, just trying to trying to keep fine tuning the restaurant to work as well as it could with Matt and I not being absent, but just not being there one hundred percent of the time. So, I mean, that was the part that was really tricky: is still trusting that the business is running how you'd like it to while opening this other one. Um, but outside of that, when we open it, the great part is, I mean, you share the same. Uh, we we still had all the reps, everything set up. I mean, it was easier than opening the first one because we at least knew what we were doing. Um, but I mean, the second time around, it was. There are the I, sorry. The other benefit I was gonna say is so pretty much the toughest thing was not being completely at a restaurant. But then the thing that also made it better though is because we'd have issues where maybe we ran out of something in one of the places. So now we have a backup. We have another place where we can go and get some kind of some kind of equipment is down, or we run out of uh, I don't know. It could be pepperoni or whatever it is. We at least have a place where we can go and grab that from and keep running. Yeah. Um, I mean everything. Yeah. Every problem you have doubles. Every, um, the amount of staff you need doubles. Your expenses double. Um, and there may be a learning curve to the community and the new place you go into because they're not familiar with you. So you can't expect that from day one you're going to be equaling your sales at the other 
location. So that takes getting used to, too, having the same amount of staff and putting in the same amount of work and, and seeing um, less sales early on. Um, as far as picking the place, though, you know, we we looked, again, we looked at places all over. Omaha, we even looked a little at Papillion and that's part of Sarpy. And um, downtown in the Capital District made sense for us. And it also followed the line. We We feel like since we opened part of our success has been we we feel like we kind of zig where people zag and we saw everybody going out west and i for good reason there's a lot of people out there we may end up out there one day um but we saw an opportunity to go east where there was less options and we felt that people were less served with um not restaurants there's a lot of great restaurants downtown but mainly from pizza standpoint uh, that we could be something different down there. That was kind of the thought process. We we're also surprised by how many creating students were coming to 74th. Oh, yeah. I and so, I mean, that. when we yeah. did that, we started realizing that maybe we do have some name recognition down that way. And uh, and so that was another thing that just made us feel better about opening that location down there. I forgot about that. I think you mentioned people saying come to our neighborhood and, and do that. Creighton students were probably number one of people who were telling us they, they wanted us down mm-hmm. there. I mean, we had sororities coming in and doing events inside the restaurant. Um, we had just, every, I mean, there was Creighton shirts everywhere. It was just, it, for some reason, we caught on with that. And so we, we felt comfortable about heading that way too because of that. I forgot about that. That's a good point. Uh, something that I, I think is really cool is as you guys have continued to expand, I don't feel like the quality has suffered at all. And I think... It, it kind of comes back to the original concept and that I feel like at a lot of restaurants, size is a gimmick and that, you know, you have a restaurant that's offering like the quad burger or yeah. like this burrito is the size of your forearm and stuff. And it's big, but it's like, it's just a large amount of average food. You guys were very intentional about making sure that the quality was there first. And once we have that quality down, then will allow the size to be what brings people in, then they see what the quality is. As you continue to grow and you continue to have success, how do you stay grounded and make sure that that quality is just always front of mind? Well, first, thank you for saying that. Yeah, thanks. I I mean, Scott, I I think the most important thing for us is staff. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. We've been so lucky with the staff we had. Um, We've had some great – when we split up, into the two stores and started relying on general managers. Um, we've had terrific general managers, uh, a guy named Drew Dalton over at 74th. And then we had Michaela O'Connor, who's been followed up by Jenny Ryan, who's currently down at Capitol, who have just really been great leaders for us, especially during COVID, um, which, you know, we were basically asking them to put their health on the line to come in and, and work and, and asking our staff that. And uh, everybody really stepped up for us. And so I think the key to the consistency is is having a good staff in place and having people that really care. And that starts at the top at each of those stores with Drew and Jenny. They really care. And that, that kind of, I feel like, trickles down. Yeah, it keeps the quality front of mind. All right. So as, as we wind down here, i got to get you guys out of here, but I've got two questions left for you that I like to ask just about every guest I have on here. And the first one is, 
What is one thing that you think people who are outside of the industry don't understand that you wish that they did? It might be just how fast moving the kitchen is. And especially with, I mean, everyone's trying their best. There's just so much you have to deal with that you're balancing with the customer service and then with the getting the quality out and in the time you need it to. I mean, there's just, a, there's, there's so much that has to go right to actually get that to go into their hands and everything be great. Um, so, I mean, it's very, it's, it's not just like, uh, Hey, we just press this button that comes out for you. Like there's a lot that goes into it. So, I mean, it's not that I'm not telling anyone to have patience or anything. I'm just saying that it's not, it's, it's not the easiest job for anyone to be working at and to just be kind of mindful of how much it takes to actually do what they're doing. Uh, yeah, on that, um, additionally, and I'm, I'm speaking to a really small group here, so I don't want to focus entirely on that, but um, I think people lose sight that customer service and front-of-the-house staff, for example, are human beings <laughs> that have really hard jobs, mm-hmm. that aren't making a lot of money, um, that, you know, they, they're working lawn hours when everybody's home at night, they're there till 10 o'clock. And we've had some really disappointing instances, especially with like mask mandates and people, when our staff asked them to keep up with that, the response is bordering on borderline violence in yeah. some cases. Um, or the like extreme frustration when somebody's taking a little time or, or that. I feel like uh, people, again, I'm talking to a small group here, but I feel like there is a small group of people that view customer service and those front of house workers as people that if they're having a bad day, they're going to take it out on them and that they can, they're comfortable doing that. They know they're not going to get anything back and they'll go home and never see that person again. Um, And I just wish that people would be more mindful that these are not easy jobs that our staff is doing and uh, they work their butts off. Cut cut them some slack, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's not some kid that we have work in the front counter it's not their mask mandate you know they're just trying to follow the law mm-hmm. i think that's that's something really good to keep top of mind but i want to get you guys out of here on a more positive note so i think this is going to be a really interesting question especially considering you guys you know came into the restaurant industry without experience so now that you have time to look back at the last decade what is your favorite part about being in the restaurant slash hospitality industry I don't know if it's the fair part to be relatable to other people, but I really did enjoy the trying to overcome how, I mean, I I, I like uh, problem solving. So, I mean, when we did start off with that kind of bad product, it was just the satisfaction of finally taking it from something that was borderline embarrassing to something that we actually are proud of. Just that whole journey, even though it was kind of the, not the most enjoyable time, looking back on that, that was the time that I, I appreciate the most was actually making it what it is now. Yeah, I've loved, uh, I love the challenge of that. I've really enjoyed working with my brother. Um, you know, we were always really close growing up, and, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, I also have really enjoyed watching our, our employees over the years, what they have either gone on to do other things or even ones that have stayed with us for a long time, how they've grown from one level within our operation to a higher level. So many of them are just really good people, and it's really fun to, to see where their lives lead and, and where they go and, and things like that. So I've, 
you know, I feel like an old man saying it. <laughs> it's, it's been 10 years now, and we've seen, you know, people who came in when they were 18 who are now 28. Um, you know, it's it's been fun watching where their lives have gone. I've enjoyed that a lot. Well, it's been fun from the outside watching the restaurant grow as well. And I know you guys have you've been very honest today about the struggles at the beginning that, you know, you're, you weren't happy with the product and it took a lot of time to be able to, to iron things out and get your process down to where you're happy with it. And I just want to commend you and honestly, thank you for sticking with it because now Omaha does have another unique pizza option. This is something that's for all the reasons that we've laid out throughout this episode. It's something that's wholly different and unique really from any other pizza spot in Omaha and I think that, that it's it's a very important part of the scene. So thank you for sticking with it. Thank you for coming on this podcast today and oh, really being cool. willing yeah, to talk about it. Much, yeah. We appreciate it. And thanks for uh, you know, thanks for your kind words over the years and and, and everything else. We we appreciate anybody. Pizza's a uh, pizza's one of those things we never get upset if people say they don't like us. It doesn't bother us at all because there are pizza's a very kind of personal thing oh, and for what, sure. what uh what people like and when we get that. But it, it does always feel like you know, see some of that positive. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, guys. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.